This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Super Bowl 58 edition of the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here along with the GM, Randy Mueller. And Randy, I'm in Vegas, and you can tell, right, <laughs> on our little video link up here. How, how am I doing? You're doing great. The only thing missing is an Elvis picture behind you or something like that, because you you look like you just came in off the street and, and ran hard all night, and you are, you're you looking sharp, but you're ready to roll, man. I'm telling you, it, it looks like you're in Vegas. Win in Rome, do as the Romans, baby. I got this shirt, everybody. It's a little bit out of my comfort zone. It was encouraged <laughs> by my wife, who, you, you know, she has my best interests at heart. She knows, but it's a little outside my zone, but we're rolling with it. We're happy to be, That's, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that is the theme of the week, right? Everything's a little different. It's Super Bowl week. We all can dress a little bit. Hey, I did a podcast yesterday from Ireland with my new friends, Neil and Tomo, yeah. Chiefs, uh -huh. big Chiefs fans, giving them a shout out because I know he's riding a train this morning, going somewhere from Dublin. But yeah, it was awesome. And, and all of our week is a little bit off because of this game. And maybe we have two weeks yeah. to store it up, but it's, it's a cool time, no doubt. It really is. So we're going to, of course, talk about the matchup in the beginning. I think we'll hit our picks at the end. Uh, we've got notes on the 49ers. We're going to talk Hall of Fame. Randy's got uh, some good insights into some guys <laughs> who made it. And we're going to talk honestly about some guys that, you know, did or didn't make it and whether they should, you know, be in the mix based on Randy's eval because he was obviously in the middle of all those evals as a pro director and as a GM and other capacities over his nearly 40 years in the league. So that's going to be great. And as a Hall of Fame selector, I love that type of feedback. That's the type of research we need. Oh, be careful, it. Mikey. No. I don't know, man. I'm, no, it is what we need. You, you don't want me in the room. Trust me. You do not want I'll me do. in the room. And, and your compadres in there would throw me out for, for no. giving my opinion. <laughs> no. Well, we had, you know, Polians in there and it gets a little tense oh, sometimes. Geez. Bill, you yeah. know, Bill can, can get a little edgy sometimes. In There's there. some agendas at work. I can tell you that. Some big agendas yeah. in there. Yes. So um, we're also going to talk about, uh, you know, coming into the season, The Athletic published a football 100 book on the 100 greatest players. And we ended up throwing Patrick Holmes low on that list. I want to revisit that and see how high we would put him uh, now. And especially if he wins this Super Bowl. Of course, we got the news of Mike Zimmer going to the Cowboys. We are loaded with good conversations. Let's just head right into the Super Bowl week, Randy. Let's talk a little bit about the game. What do you got? Well, I think that is the thing that gets pushed to the back burner, right? <laughs> Except for us old heads that actually care about matchups and, and rosters and personnel, the way it, it shakes out during the week. I just think it's, it's a fascinating game. And as you know, the underdog has covered, I think, the last three Super Bowls or something like that. And when this line came out, I found myself, because I had kind of done a little work on matchups leading up to it, I was shocked that the Chiefs were the were the underdog. I thought they were the better team, but that may prove out. I don't know. Have you just out of curiosity? Have you found people around there that are picking the 49ers in Vegas now? As, no. as you said, you, it, it, 
it almost scares me. Uh, yeah. I, like, what do people know that we don't know? And so every year before the Super Bowl, I will call four, five, six coaches that, that have, you know, a lot of times played these teams or prepped for them. They've watched the film. They, they, they have a feel for them. And I'll get their kind of predictions on background. Uh, uh, and I'll write a piece about it. So I had four guys this week, and they all went with the Chiefs. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think I think if the 49ers win as a favorite, they can correctly say no one predicted we would win, even though they're the favorite. I think they can yeah. correctly say it. Doesn't it feel that way? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like an us against the world. When you factor in all the things that have happened to them or, or we've yeah. at least heard as narratives throughout the week, the Chiefs are 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 – you know, fighting an uphill battle to get respect, and they're the favorites in the game. So, kind of crazy. Right. I think yeah. just just not to bore our listeners, but a couple things that jump out at me, and we know Kyle Shanahan's offense. We know how it's predicated on uh, passing, uh, play action passing, and such. But I think the game comes down to who can run the ball. That's what I really think, Mike. And and I think to run the ball, the 49ers really start with the simplicity of they're going to run a toss play and not to get into the weeds too deep. But the toss play is effective at all levels of, of ball, high school, college, pro. It doesn't really matter. But the thing about the simple toss play is defenses have to figure out a way of how they're going to play it. And I guarantee you, that's what Kyle Shanahan wants to know, is how the Chiefs are going to defend the edges when they turn and pitch the ball to, to the running back. Because what happens is defensive ends or edge players, as we call them nowadays, will either fight, fight, fight outside, not to get hooked, not to get hooked. And as soon as they jump outside uh, or, or do that, they're, they're going to get pushed outside and the back will run up underneath them. So those single singular blocks on the edges determine where the running game is going to come from and how a team proceeds. And I just think if you want to look at something in the game, look at the running game of the 49ers early in this game and see how the Chiefs defend setting the edge. I think that'll tell you a long, a long bit as to how this game's going to go. Interesting. I want to flip that around too, Randy, because Kansas City has, you know, Isaiah Pacheco, and I kind of kind of think of him as a slashing inside runner a little bit, but yeah. the, the 49ers have shown you know their defense has been vulnerable to getting their ends pinned you know in there too and we right. saw detroit do that so how do you think that matchup goes to the chiefs maybe run the ball a little bit outside in this game well i think they'd like to i think that they will but i don't know that that's pacheco's strength the thing that, yeah. that i like about the chiefs running game is it is run by design and those backs aren't really creative backs they're going to run exactly where the play is blocked to get so i do think part of their script is to find out if we can do certain things and again the running game to me is fascinating because they're different styles the backs are a little bit different obviously McCaffrey's a little more dynamic and kind of create some things on his own I think Pacheco is known for running hard finding vision and coming downhill but not really jumping around and making things happen so it'll be fun to see I think Kyle really wants to run the ball. I don't know if Andy does. I always get the impression it hurts Andy to call running plays, but it works and it makes his offense work. He's done it more though, Randy. I was talking to, uh, I do a weekly Kansas City radio show and we were mm -hmm. talking about this yesterday because I agree. And sometimes in these moments, uh, you default to, to what you really are, right? It's kind of right. like, you know, a, a boxer who's a certain style of boxer. He can try to fight. Uh, another way that, that works well in the matchup, but when he gets hit a couple times, he's going to revert to who he is, right? And we see that with quarterbacks with their, hey, they've worked all offseason on their release and their footwork, but when the bullets are flying, they kind of yeah. go to what they've always been, right? So I, no I wondered about this. It's really hard sometimes to know what impact people have on a team when they're not 
exactly the play caller. So think of Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy left the Chiefs and went to the Washington Commanders and threw the ball too much. I mean, all the time they led the league in sacks taken and interceptions. Yep. They threw yep. the ball as if they had Dan Marino. Okay, all <laughs> the time. So right. was Eric Bieniemy kind of that that enabler of Andy instead of a, a little bit of a restrictor and a hey let's let's remember to stay in our lane here right because because Andy's going to call the game but does it matter who's in his ear in terms of that or, or what do you think what do you think could, could that be a possibility of why they've been able to run a little more because they have adapted a little bit more of a different style right I also think what they've done is they found out a way that a way and, and I agree with you I do think people are in his ear. I think that happens in most games. And sometimes agendas get turned around a little bit. But I think in the Chiefs' particular perspective is that they've got to protect those tackles. And that's the big thing that I think I've seen over them the last six weeks or so is they've evolved into if we can protect the tackles in the passing game, it makes Mahomes have a much wider effect on the game. So I think by running the ball, they can slow down the rush a little bit. Those guys aren't flying around the corner on the edge. The running game, that's why I'm fascinated by, I think the running game determines how these defenses rush the passer, how they pursue, how they do everything. And uh, I agree with you. I think the running game is going to be interesting, but they're different styles running games. That's that's the dynamic of, of these matchups. Yep. The other matchup I'm really interested in, Randy, is some of this was from talking to a defensive coach who had uh, you know, prepared and, and for these teams. I asked him about, uh, the Chiefs defense and he thought a really big matchup and potential advantage for the Chiefs was their interior defensive line to be able to get into Purdy's kind of pinch that pocket down step on his toes a little bit and the mm-hmm. observation was that hey as we've seen when Purdy is on rhythm uh, even when he escapes and eludes he'd be a very dangerous passer but his strength is derived from his legs his lower body and when you start to get into that it falls apart really quickly. And so we saw that a little bit, like a Cleveland was able to do that more than a Detroit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Can a mm-hmm. Kansas City do that with Chris Jones and get in there enough that it compromises him? Because we've seen the ball flutter sometimes, Randy, when, when, it gets, when it gets like that for him. The other part off of that is the Chiefs led the league this season in batted passes. They had 22 Cleveland was second with 18. I just mentioned Cleveland did a really good job getting to Purdy. You throw in the playoffs, the Chiefs have 27 batted passes. The next team has 19. So can they get step on his toes, so to speak, maybe get their hands up, maybe get a a turnover or two off of that? Does that seem like a good play? Well, I think it's a definite good play, and I'm sure it enters in, because just to expand on it a little bit more with regard to Purdy, we all know Purdy's a good player. He's an anticipator. He really plays on instincts. But what he's not is he doesn't have a great arm, and he doesn't throw off-platform great. When his legs are not under him, things break down, like you said. And so when you pressure him a little bit, and he's got to throw something without his legs under him where he can drive the ball— it's not the same velocity and balls flutter, like you said, and that's a problem. I think where, where it'll be fun to see Spagnola attack is the, the 49ers right side of their line is the weakness, right? It's the right guard. It's the right tackle. Trent Williams, you're not going to mess with that side. So I think the schemes and the pressure packages that we'll see are from the middle to, to what would be the offense's right. 
And that's where the weakness is. I think you'll see some games over there. You'll see some bull rushing over there. I think you'll definitely see what you just mentioned is some some pressure trying to come up the gut because Purdy's not a big dude. You know, what is he, 6'1", six, 6'1 one, six, one and a half, yeah. something like that. It's not like he's Josh Allen standing there can throw over everybody. So I think you will see some packages, pressure up the gut. And then to that right side where I think that the Chiefs uh, are going to see what we see in that the 49ers pass protection on that side of the ball is not the best. Yeah, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you about on this, just previewing the matchup, would be uh, the 49ers are, are a little unique or a little unusual. and They lead the league in the percentage of plays with two running backs. You know, that's mm-hmm. really not the way the league has gone for the most part, right. except for in some of these kind of Shanahan-type offenses. So it's a different – presents a different challenges and opportunities. Typically, the league went away from two backs because – uh, defenses blitzed them out of it, and, and you really needed to get four verticals in into pass routes to threaten the defense. The 49ers you make them solved, pay. Make them pay. Yeah, yeah, the 49ers have solved for that. They they can still have two backs out there, and they still threaten people. Some of these guys are interchangeable, and they're 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 all you know about 215 pounds, and you don't right. know if McCaffrey's going to be in the slot or, or where he's going to be. So uh, they're super dangerous on that, and they make you tackle. What do you think about that? The Chiefs' ability to match up against this style of an offense and tackle? Well, I think it's an interesting uh, cause and effect for sure, because we know the Chiefs like to play a lot of man-to-man. They'll play a lot of single high coverage. They'll play some two-man, but they like to get in your face. So what that tells me is the 49ers perimeter players are going to have to win some one-on-one battles. Purdy is not going to be able to throw to open spaces and, and I think open areas of the field where anticipation is his strength. I think the 40, uh, the Chiefs are going to play a lot of man-to-man coverage and those take sometimes a more precise, tighter window, higher velocity throws to beat that man-for-man uh, coverage. So another interesting facet. I, I just find this matchup pretty cool to, to kind of sort out. I do too. We'll circle back at the end with our picks. Staying on the theme of the week and the Super Bowl, what about these 49er complaints, Randy? We got cracked fields, fire alarms. You know, the, I, I was thinking, too, how odd it is for the Chiefs to be practicing at the division rival Raiders' incredible new facility. I wonder if the Chiefs players are like, hey, Clark, Hunt, can we get this uh, yeah. in Kansas City? But that's a little weird in and of itself. But then we hear that the 49ers are out at UNLV where the sod is apparently super soft. Kyle Shanahan is not happy about it. We read then the team hotel had a fire alarm, you know, this sort of thing happening that you you would think you those things would be guarded you know if right. you were a coach going in this cannot happen because it's the oldest trick in the book uh, for right. any visiting team anywhere so what do you make of these two things and shouldn't this at least the practice field thing be solved in advance well first off your 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 fact and it is awkward of the chiefs practicing at the raiders facility that's crazy and that happened to us when when i was in new orleans obviously we at the time were in the same division as the rams and they came wow. into our facility and took it over and and that's the deal right they have to plan for that in case you're in the super bowl so uh, yeah. the the team in your conference gets the home field in, in that regard so that was weird because i remember guys coming in my office and putting black paper up on all my windows i couldn't see outside it was like yeah. they made my office a cave but i understand it that you you got to take do all it, your but- files out of there how did that work they could look at your notes they didn't go in my office. They oh, stayed okay. on the outside in the perimeter, but I couldn't see out either. So it was like I was in a j- jail cell without a window. Oh, I got you. And got everybody's you. office was the same way that faced the field. So we couldn't see, we couldn't get out uh, other than just yeah. walking out the front door. That was our only access in and out of the office that week. So it was kind of crazy. Um, 
The other thing is you're right about the distractions. The 49ers, we've heard a lot of narrative about things that have bothered them. Um, I guess you can use that two ways. You can use that to your advantage in that, hey, they're trying to make it tough on us. It's us against the world. Let's take it all on. I remember another story that happened to us in Seattle one year. Early in my career, we went down to play the Dolphins in a divisional playoff game. It was a round two game, I believe. We had to travel on a Friday because the game was on a Sunday. We get to the airport. I remember it was American Airlines. There was a mechanical on the plane. So they loaded us all up off the plane on buses. We go to a local hotel by the airport, and we hung out for five hours while a cart was flown in from L.A. to get our uh, charter plane passing inspection so we could go to Miami. So needless to say, we get into Miami on a Saturday morning. It's like three or four in the morning, right? The game is just over 24 hours away. So we go to the hotel, we get checked in, and then we're going to go have a walk through a little bit of a practice in the Orange Bowl. It's kind of rainy, misty. We go over to the Orange Bowl. Uh, Believe me, the rain and mist did not bother us from Seattle. But we get to to the Orange Bowl, and the field is covered. And half the guys that are there on the crew don't speak any English to start with. And so they're talking about, oh, there's no way we've been instructed. We can't uncover the field. You're not going to be able to practice. So uh, this is they tell us this when we're getting off the bus. So yeah. let me ask you, how do you think Chuck Knox took that information that we weren't going to practice on the Saturday before the biggest game in franchise history and, and had got to load us back up on the bus and go to some parking lot and have a walkthrough? That was crazy. Yeah, Yeah, completely irate. Like he was the night before with American Airlines when the charter didn't, you know, couldn't take off. So it was one thing after another. Long story short, it was a complete disaster of a trip. It was it was everything went wrong that could have gone wrong. But guess what? We woke up Saturday morning. We went to Orange Bowl and we kicked the Dolphins ass and won the won the playoff game. So my point is the 49ers could channel all this stuff to help them. Um, We'll see. So it could go both ways. It could be woe is me or it could be, hey, don't tell me how rough the water is. Let's just get in the boat. Yeah. Do you think it's a sign of maybe them feeling the pressure a little bit? A little bit. I kind of saw that in uh, some of the... uh, interviews that I've seen, especially from Kyle, I think, I don't know. I just feel like they are feeling some pressure for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know where they would get the pressure from. Obviously, they're a good team. Maybe they don't like the matchups either, <laughs> like we're talking about. So I don't know. There's a great story. Kaylin Kayla wrote a great story for us on The Athletic about how Kyle does what his dad used to do. He's got, he's got the uh, uh, coach's offices wired with uh, video and sound so he can watch the meeting. What do you think of that? I just thought of uptightness. Maybe it's a great thing, but it seems kind of weird to me. <laughs> I don't know if that's done at their home facility or not, but I know this. When I was in New Orleans as the GM, Jim Hazlitt wanted me to have wires to all the meeting rooms so I could go from room to room and understand really? and watch a meeting and watch a coach work and teach. But here's the thing and where the reasoning that came from, and this may come from Shanahan too, because people forget yeah. Shanahan's dad was with the 49ers. And that yeah, was Mike's there, and I believe the yeah. Bill Walsh era. And Bill right. Walsh is the one that did that. He's he the first everybody. one to put, yes, he put film and, and a camera in the rooms, and he did it from not only a teaching, so he could get around all the rooms, but when you brought a new player in, there was a, a, a log of tape where he could watch a, a, a VHS tape at the time to get all the installs that he needed and not have to have a coach go through it with him. So he could actually watch on tape their offense being installed. And so that's why these videotaping yeah. sessions occurred. And we did the same thing in New Orleans, and I thought it was great. It was it was a really cool access for me. And I'm not checking up on anybody. I just want to see who is teaching what and what we're trying to teach. And if there's any way I can help that process, I was always for it. Yeah, it's really interesting. 
Yep. Good, good stuff. Good tool. And you, if you're, you know, using it for the right purposes, you can really have a feel for what's going on and where you need to get better and who's great at what and yeah. all those types of things. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend, show up for yourself. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, moving along, the 2024 Hall of Fame class is set. I know we're going to have to talk about Antonio Gates here because he's surprising <laughs> to me, and I know to you, yeah. uh, and a lot of people that were around the Chargers, and just a lot of people in general, pretty surprising to me that he was not among the five modern-era finalists selected for enshrinement. It was his first year of eligibility. He's going to get in real soon, but I had him right after Julius Peppers, really among the players from this group that I thought deserved to make it. How about you? Yeah, I mean, 100% for me as well. I agree with your thoughts. I thought Gates would be an easy lock, um, one of the few that I didn't even have to think about, but I'm probably partial. I spent 10 years with him, so I've seen him at his best. I mean, this is a guy that I think is one of the top two or three tight ends to ever play. So maybe yeah. the fact that he's a tight end uh, keeps him out for a minute. Uh, I clearly right. agree with you. Uh, he's going to get in sooner than later. What it did, though, was it made me do a little research on the five candidates, thinking if I got to find somebody that I want to put in, who am I going to take out if we got to have five? And so um, yeah. I went back and forth on on who might be less deserving. And and again, this is not a knock on these guys. They're and, all good and players. Let me, yeah. I'll tell, let me say who did make it. So Devin Hester, yeah. Andre Johnson, Dwight Freeney, Julius Peppers, and Patrick Willis were the five. So of those, as I always say that. I'm glad you said that, Randy, because when people say so-and-so should have got in, I always say, well, who do you yeah. want to take out? And that's, that's, right. that's what you're going to do on your own right here. The only guy for me that I could make a case for Gates, you know, maybe being quite a bit more deserving of was Patrick Willis for me. And again, I, I remember seeing Patrick Willis at Ole Miss. I had him in my office. I remember him sitting across the desk for me like it was yesterday. Great player, great guy, magnanimous personality, really good leader. And so I'm not dinging him at all. But I'm saying from a pure number standpoint, impact on the game for 10 or 12 years, Gates had that. Um, and that would be the only swap out I would make just for the sake of this argument. Um, 
but it yeah. did make me do some research before I did it because some of the other guys, Andre Johnson, for example, came to my mind right away. And when you look it up, the numbers are impressive. Now, there's a lot of accolades that came his way over a long period of time. And I know I always say this, my criteria, and I don't know that there is a specific criteria, you know yeah. way better than me, is did they dominate the game from their position for a decade or at least yeah. very close to a decade? And I know Gates did. I, I didn't know Andre Johnson did, but when you study it and, and get the numbers right, he definitely did as well. Um, hey, hopefully he gets in next year and and we we don't disregard him just because, one, he played in San Diego, and two, he was a tight end. How do you feel about Hester? Uh, you know, total game plan consideration as a returner. Yeah. Had 19 return touchdowns, but you're not on the field every play either, and sometimes they just kick away from you. Do you, do you like that one? I think it's an okay selection. Again, I think he was a fantastic return guy, maybe the best ever. So if we're in the in the for yeah. the sake of completeness for this hall, I think you have to consider punters, kickers, return specialists, all that. Um, I've told the story many times. We didn't know what to do with Devin Hester when he came out of Miami that year. Yeah. I know Chicago stepped up and picked him. We didn't really think he was a DB. I wasn't 100% sure that he could. He was a receiver, but I know this, when the ball was in his hands, he was a game changer, and that's really what he built his career on, whether it was a, a return or a reverse or something where you could put the ball in his hands and, and let him go. That's when you saw what kind of a dynamic athlete and player he was. Yeah, I wonder if, if he would have been with like an Andy Reid or something his whole career, if he would have had a little bit more of a role on offense or development on offense. Interesting. It's really hard to scheme a player like that, Mike. And it's like yeah. a, it's almost like a tight end when you pick a tight end in the top five or six of a draft. For example, yeah. like Atlanta did with Pitts. It it's, sounds great on paper to say we can design this or we can design that. But in the heat of the moment, in the deep depths of battle, coaches yeah. don't scheme players open. They just don't. And, and that just... Again, that gets ignored way too often. Yeah. It sounds great, but it, it just doesn't happen in real time. So the finalists who missed the cut this year included Gates, who we discussed, along with Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, Willie Anderson, Jari Evans, Jared Allen, Eric Allen, Rodney Harrison, Darren Woodson, and Fred Taylor. I would love to get your thoughts on a few of these guys. Who from that group would you like the most or thought was the best player, or do you have concerns about that? those groups? Maybe we could pick the right guys. Well, I think, and you know my feeling on the Hall of Fame, what it's become. It's and and I think some of the players that are that probably belong in their own wing have even commented as well that it's kind of a hall of very good players, not the not the greatest of all time. So, I wouldn't say there's anybody on that list that I would consider the greatest of all time. And maybe my 20 years of being the pro scouting guy in Seattle uh, lead me to to say, hey, I'm a little more critical than I should be about these players because I did watch a lot of tape. I did write reports on all these guys for years. And so I did have to prepare our our roster for dealing with these guys. And, and I say these guys are really good players, but they all had some flies per se. And I never have thought of the Hall of Fame as accepting of players that had some elements of their game that weren't top-notch. I just felt like across the board, they needed to be top-notch at everything and really without weakness. Probably the one guy for me that I could make a case for at the top of this list would be Torrey Holt, the receiver from the Rams. Um, Torrey Holt was one of those guys who, yeah, the system helped him. Mike Marks really helped him. But standing alone, this guy was a great route runner, a great ball skills guy who could catch anything. Um, for a while, he was pretty good run after the catch. Uh, I think this guy is a complete receiver. I don't know that he ever dominated the game. Um, 
for a decade, like say a Michael Irvin did or or even even a Chris Carter or Randy Moss for sure. But I do think he has the skills and, and the production on paper that he would probably be at the top of my list. Maybe at the other end of that spectrum is probably a guy like Fred Taylor for me, who, mm-hmm. and again, I don't want to beat up Fred Taylor. He's, he was a really good player. Hey, my brother and one of my best friends in the business drafted him with the Jaguars. So I know all about him uh, and, and I know how proud they are of him. Um, I, and I'm not trying to be a you know a bad guy yeah. for for just criticizing these guys, but no, I just but we think got to Fred was known. Yeah. yeah, Fred was known as a big, fast, straight line guy who really uh, never caught a bunch of passes. I think I, I did the research, and I think he had eight or nine career TD receptions. Marshall Falk in 2001 had nine in that one year. So the yeah. craziness behind the numbers just don't stack up to what some of these better backs, in my opinion, have done. And I always use Marshall Falk because during that early 90s period, he dominated from not only the running back position, but as a receiver and just about every way. Yeah, no doubt about it. I like that you settled on Holt. So talking about dominating for a decade, I did that evaluation a while back of measuring every receiver in history's best eight seasons because I figured – Looking at it, no one really, unless you're Jerry Rice, no one really has elite seasons beyond about eight or nine of them. Right. Uh, yeah. And and so I looked at where they ranked in receiving yards in each of their eight best seasons. And Jerry Rice, Don Hudson, Randy Moss were one, two, three. Steve Largent was number five. Julio Jones, six. Marvin Harrison, James Lofton, Larry Fitzgerald, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson. Number four was Torrey Holt. That surprised me, but just because... He didn't hang around for an extra five years and just compile and push himself up the list and get right. talked about. Um, but he did it, I, and I believe Kurt Warner was his quarterback for less, well less than half of his uh, receptions. The perception mm-hmm. is, wow, he was just dominating with Kurt Warner. No, he was playing with Mark Bolger. Mark Bolger yeah. He was a good player, but and others, and he really produced his eight. See, he played basically ten years, and they were all most all elite. So he really packed it in. Um, I'm a big supporter of his of these other guys coming up. The other thing, though, we're going to have new people coming in next year. One of them is Eli Manning, who has the best last name ever. He's got two <laughs> Super Bowl wins in which he yeah. made critical plays. Great longevity. He's very funny on the show with his brother on the commentary show on Monday Night Football. I never really felt like he was a top five quarterback when he played. Again, no set criteria. We can use our discretion. I suppose if you win Super Bowls and are and are the quarterback and you did great in those games, that means something. But how would you feel? What would be your advice? You know, uh, to considering someone like him. I think it's a really hard one and maybe puts the selection committee like yourself in in a bind because I think if you look at it just from a pure football standpoint, I agree. Probably not Hall of Fame talent, in my opinion, but in the big games, nobody played better, right? He has the two Super Bowls to show for it. I think the comparison nowadays is the Brock Purdy one, although I think Eli has a little more physical talent than than Purdy. Um Maybe that skill set was higher for that. He reasons if if you were evaluating him, but I do think Manning will get in um, just because of the New York factor, the fact that he played in the Big Apple, and and for all the other intangible reasons that you mentioned with regard to what he's done post football, which really shouldn't be part of it. But um, two Super Bowls, I don't know. Is is it have all quarterbacks who won two Super Bowls? Is the history? No, Jim Plunkett. history? Jim Puckett's not it. 
Jim Plunkett won too. He's not in. Yeah. Uh, but that's, I mean, to, to make an Eli picked, you know, in the, you know, a number one type overall selection uh, with Brock Purdy, I think most people would raise their eyebrows on that. So you you don't think Eli was especially gifted physically? That's correct. But he had the other all the other intangibles. Now I'm not saying he's Brock Purdy. Now now we're de- now we're derailing yeah. Brock Purdy's candidacy. But I'm just saying I don't I never thought of Eli as as John Elway. I never thought of Eli yeah. as as Peyton per se. But the results yeah. are there uh, and. You talk about game manager, that's a whole nother podcast, and we can just talk about the definition yeah. of that. I think Eli did that as well as anybody um, for for a longer period of time than most. So, again, I think— With a run game and a defense, yes, you know, that type of thing. No doubt. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a prime, I think, example of when a quarterback goes to a place that is stable around him and where he can take it, even with uh, not elite talent, for sure. Yeah. All right. While we're on the topic of all-time honors, this season, Randy, The Athletic published the Football 100 book, a definitive ranking, wink, wink, of the <laughs> 100 greatest players in NFL history. So two or three years ago when we were putting this together, we really weren't sure what to do with Patrick Mahomes because he was sensational, but he only played a few years. So right. then what happened before the book came out, he won another Super Bowl, and we're like, okay, we're going to put we're, we're gonna put Patrick play- Mahomes – into the top 100 here and we sort of slotted him in uh, towards the bottom of that so we ended up of the top 100 we ended up having 19 quarterbacks which tells you (laughs) about our orientation but also the importance of the position i want to ask you where you would put mahomes in this list and i'm going to read the 19 in order uh and mahomes at the bottom how far would you move him up i get the sense i would probably put him at somewhere in the top 10 of this now so we go Tom Brady, Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, Johnny Unitas, Otto Graham. Otto Graham's not in the uh, NFL Plus All-22 package. You can't watch him. John <laughs> Elway. Uh, it might be the All-1922 package. No. Uh, John Elway, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Sammy Baugh, Drew Brees, Sid Luckman, Steve Young, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach, your boyhood favorite hmm. as a Cowboy fan. Mm-hmm. Bart Starr, Bobby Lane, Patrick Mahomes, and Fran Tarkenton, who at the time when he retired had the all-time record for touchdown passes and was really one of the great dual-threat quarterbacks early on. How high are you pushing Mahomes on that list? I think you, you can you can see the list, right? I pasted it in yes, there. Yes, I got it. Yep. Uh, so it makes it easier. You don't have to memorize all that. But where, were you, where are you pushing him now? And especially if he wins this game, does that affect it? Right. For me, it didn't take me long to slot him in where I thought he belonged. Um, for me, and I'll just go right to it. For me, Brady was, I had no argument with Brady being one. The John Elway argument that he's not in the top two or three is is crazy. Elway would be okay. two for me. And, and I would yep. put Mahomes at three, to be honest with you. I have not seen this kind of talent, this kind of production, this kind of anticipation and instincts and, and football IQ. Um, and, and like most of us, we've watched ball lo- a long time. So I would have no problem with Mahomes being the third in the top three. I don't know that I would be reflectively changing that if they win or lose this week. I think he's going to get other opportunities. Um, for me, the, the, that is obviously the striking thing about the list is that, and I understand the reasoning by where he was, but I thought Elway... Uh, was a great player that never, for some reason in history, has been reflected as such. I like Joe Montana. Joe Montana was the second on your list. Um, 
Joe Montana, to me, is is the epitome of a great system, um, almost uh, a game manager himself. And I always go back to, and this is a crazy story, and it's not it's fantasy world, right? But we all remember the catch, right? Where Montana's yeah. rolling to his right, he throws to Dwight Clark in the back of the end zone. I always said, what happens if Dwight Clark had fell down before Montana could could hurl the ball toward him? What would Montana have done? Well, he'd probably had to turn and just just throw it out of bounds, right? Or throw it over. He almost yeah. tried to throw it out of yeah. bounds anyway. And I said, put Elway in that same category. And when Elway's rolling to his right, if if Clark falls, you know what Elway does? He plants his feet and throws clear to the other end side of the end zone oh, yeah. to the next receiver for a touchdown. So that to me tells me not many could do that. And so I always had Elway up there for that reason. Now, again, I was on teams that played against Elway and, and he's ruined more yes. Sundays for me than anybody in my life. So I think he's probably greater than most do, but I think he's extremely talented and at the top of any quarterback list that doesn't have him in the top three or four, I think is crazy. Well, yeah, it, now Tom Brady wouldn't be running and throwing it back across the other side of the field either, though. And so I think when we when Tom Brady's up there because he won seven Super Bowls. That's right. He played yep. for so long. So that winning opponent uh, does elevate these guys up. But an interesting story on, on John Elway in relation to this was, remember Howard Mudd, of course, he was in yep. Seattle, great line coach. And Howard was with Peyton Manning all those years in Indy. Yep. And seven or eight years ago when I was at ESPN, I did this. I did, I did this project on the greatest quarterbacks in the passing era, which I traced to 1978 when they changed the rules for holding and, de- and defensive back play to really open up passing. Soon, within a year or two, you had Don Coryell and the, the Chargers you know, lighting it up, and the game was changed. Stats changed. Guys threw for tons of more pat- touchdowns, all that. And I asked Howard Mudd. He was one of the guys on the panel for his greatest quarterbacks since then that he had seen, and he had they, I think he might have had Elway number one. He definitely had him above Peyton Manning, who he mm-hmm. he loved Peyton Manning, yep. but that was the regard that he held Elway in. Yep. Uh, and was Howard was Howard in Cleveland too? He was in Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. When yes, with Kozar uh, and Marty Elway yeah, those yeah. days. So he saw him going against him too, and saw what you saw. I just think Elway didn't have the stats under Reeves, uh, uh, and had that, and didn't get his Super Bowl crowns until late. And I bet you that just hurt him in these legacy type discussions relative to a Montana, even though if you go back, Bill Walsh wanted to trade for Dan Marino. Yeah. I mean, Bill Walsh would have way rather have had Elway, you know, than Montana. And he loved Montana, (laughs) but that's just the reality. I think what it was for a lot of those people like myself, like Howard, who, who lined up every Sunday against Elway was the thing that separated Elway from the rest of the field, in my opinion, is that every receiver was a threat on the field, no matter where they were. So if he's running right, you cannot drop coverage on the left 50 yards downfield because you know what? He can he can make that throw. And I've not seen anybody else ever be able to do that until Josh Allen came along. And Josh Allen, that's why people kind of say, oh, man, that's Elway. That's Elway. It was the same type of thinking. Every receiver, no matter where they're on the field, is a threat. And so there's no backside. There's no front side to coverages. There's no rolling coverages to this way or that way. You can do that, but you stand to get your ass beat on the backside if you're hesitant at all about covering a guy that's 40 yards from where the quarterback is. So that element that he adds to the game, I haven't seen except from a guy like Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes can do some of that. Josh Allen is, 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 has the physical stature to do that. So these two guys, in my opinion, are special for that reason. 
So you say, hey, let's let's put Brady number one, the seven Super Bowls yeah, along. Can't argue with it this. is what it is. We're just yeah. going to put him number one. But let's put Elway. Let's put Mahomes next because yeah, they've they won also. But these are elite differentiating talents who could beat you, whether the receiver was open, whether or not yeah. they can. No run, matter the coverage, yeah. The field doesn't matter <laughs> right. if your coverage is good. Um, they are differentiators. Love that discussion. Hey, before we get to the GM notebook and our picks, um, there is a little bit of news with Mike Zimmer joining the Cowboys here soon as their defensive coordinator. He replaces Dan Quinn. So they're replacing one former head coach in Quinn with another former head coach, but they also get someone with a different system, a different temperament. If you've ever seen the red face of Mike Zimmer, uh, <laughs> you probably uh, understand the ferocity or, or sort of the intensity that he brings. It's a little bit of a different style than Dan Quinn. Uh, when Zim took over the Vikings in 2014, Minnesota was coming off a season when the defense ranked 28th in EPA per play. That went to 21, then 13, then five, then second. He really put together a top flight defense over time, but this is not a five-year plan, Randy, in Dallas. There's a lot on the line to win now. Do you like this? Do you think the defense can improve right away under Zim? Or is this going to be a process with some growing pains? Well, I love Zim. I've known him for 35 years. He was uh, Mike Price's defense coordinator at Washington State. And my brother was a yeah. GA on that staff way back when. So I've known him a long time. Um, I love the hire. But you bring up some great points in that he's going to show a different scheme. And it's just as much for me about kind of reconstructing this roster to fit his scheme as anything else. So there's going to be some changeover and I think a little bit of a period of adjustment. He's not going to want the same criteria for his players that Dan Quinn wanted, for example. So they're not going to be smallish, upfield, one gap, uh, disregarding the run a lot of times. Not that Dan Quinn disregarded the run, but I'm over-exaggerating a bit yeah. here. And yeah. I think... Mike Zimmer is going to have a total different defense that's going to have to be built in his vision and his like. Um, I, the fact that, that they hired him in Dallas brings all kinds of other elements to it from a big picture standpoint. You mentioned the fact that he's a head coach, ex-head coach. Is that something that Jerry wanted? Um, is his relationship with Jerry going to bypass Mike McCarthy at any point. I Knowing Mike like I do, I don't think that would ever happen, but it would be easy to draw a reference to that just because you know Jerry had a lot to do with Mike Zimmer getting, getting the job. And oh. that interview when he came to Dallas was probably more about intangibles than it was about scheme and, and, and other things because they, they kind of know that. I guess Mike McCarthy would know just as much as us or, or actually a lot more about how that scheme can be taught and if it can be used uh, in this day and age and how we have to adjust to give him the players to do it. So some questions, yeah. but I do like the hire for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe Mike McCarthy was pushing for this hire, but one of the yeah. things I often hear from coaches is uh, – you know, a concern when the GM or the front office mm -hmm. is super involved in putting together the staff yep. or the owner. I, the worst case scenario of this would be like uh, David Tepper in Carolina telling Frank Reich he needs to have all these big names on the staff. And then pretty soon you got five guys trying to tell the quarterback what to do. Right. And, and it implodes and, and you don't know what the heck's going on. And I think we're seeing this hiring cycle of coaches. We've seen, uh, you, you know, these GMs, a lot of times younger, hiring partners. They're not hiring bosses. They're hiring partners, right. and they're influencing the hiring process. Randy, right. you've been a GM. 
You've helped mm-hmm. hire coaches, I'm sure. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that? And then what's your sense on the Zim thing? Is this, you know, like you said, it could clearly be an owner thing. And is that a problem? Well, I don't know that it's a problem. I think it has to be uh, discussed and the agendas have to be examined by everybody involved. Again, I'm one of those guys that open communication is the best way to go. So I would hope that everybody sat down in the same room and had this discussion and then had the discussion individually, you know, Jerry and Zim, McCarthy and Zim, uh, all the way around the the tree of everybody kind of being open and frank about what we're going to do here. So I do see what you're mentioning is younger GMs tend to partner up with coaches. And, and I don't think that that's a problem per se. I think some coaches demand more accountability and a bigger footprint to operate within a building. And sometimes that's problematic for others. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just factual. And like we talked about with GMs and sometimes the head coach, when they get hired, the footprint is limited by a lot of people in the building. So you're boxing that person in. And if they have more personality and want to have more accountability, uh, they don't fit within that criteria that these organizations come by. I, I credit uh, Dallas for doing this because I do know Zim and I think his personality, his persistence on doing it right, and his his uh, willing to to hold people accountable, even if it's yeah. coaching hard. I think those are all things that Dallas needs. So I think those elements are yeah. are, are factoring in in a good way as well. I'm kind of with you. I, I kind of like it. I want to see where it goes and hopefully for them there's not a big huge adjustment period part of coaching is you know making the most of the personnel you inherit so if he does that well and brings some accountability and uh to their operation there all the more power to it i can't wait to see if jerry jones has some some sunday night commentary on the defense during the season how zim you know when zim's asked about that later that week when he's available that will be interesting to me to watch. So, well, he's been through it before. Zim was there for I think when Parcells was there, so he he knows the he knows the things that are, are not going to change. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We got to talk about picks with Sando coming off a two and zero week. Uh, Sando's on a roll, man. I mean, God, no way. He got to buy a new shirt. He's on the, yeah, on the, the podcast with a fancy shirt in Vegas. Next thing you know, you're going to be getting a, a live show down here. Uh, it's one of the casinos, a betting show or something where people well, are going to tune in for your picks. I see where you mention these picks in your column now every week. Holy mackerel. What, I did. What, I what put them in the bottom of the column. I, I thought it was a service to the Patting ourselves on the back. I mean, come on. What no, are we doing? It was a service to the readers. This is accountability. <laughs> yeah, first round, I pointed out that I was 5-1 and one in the wild. Okay. Card round, I got two you. and two. Not that I remember these things. Two and zero. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Not that you're keeping track of the receipts, right? So, what you need to watch next season, Randy, if those notes are not in there, let's just say I'm not on a roll late in the season. <laughs> that, that needs to be called into account. But, I got you. Uh, well, I like uh, accountability. No, I, I'm all for it. I mean, if 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 I get this pick right, I may have sunglasses on next week. <laughs> and a gold chain around your neck. Come on, it's <laughs> absolutely right. So I think I know where we're going on the picks. Yeah. By the way, Mueller was one and one on the picks, uh, which I want to ask you. So Baltimore was, you know, you took the points. Yeah. Um, do you have? I can't remember if we talked about this. Do you have concerns about Baltimore long term at all? Vision offensively, and now defense turning over. Or are you good? Just. Um, I hadn't really thought too much about a long-term yeah. concern. I do know this, that this is as good a Baltimore team as I've seen. So yeah. now change is going to happen. We already see the defense coordinators left. We're yeah. going to see some roster changes. It's hard to recreate and, and keep that same opportunity that you might think you shot yourself in the foot 
and lost yeah. to recreate it again. So I always think all yeah. these teams are no guarantee for, for long-term success just because they do it one time. I agree. Now they've got Harbaugh, and so they've got a, a system there, and they've got their quarterback coming back. So I think they're still going to be good. But that was a great opportunity for them to win it all. They missed it. Don't know if they get another one that good where you've got the home field. All right. For our picks, what do you got, Randy? Well, and, and you're right. We alluded to it early in the show. I, I cannot go against the Chiefs, especially when you're getting points, depending on how and when you make the bet. I've seen anywhere from one and a half to two and a half. Um, yeah. I just think Kansas City is the, is the better of these matchups for, for a bunch of reasons. Um, I think Mahomes last week, especially in the Baltimore game, was as finely focused as I've ever seen him. And I don't know a focused Pat Mahomes can be stopped. I really don't. And if he can continue to play at that high elite level with his mind, the physical part he can do, but with his mind, and if those perimeter receivers can stay on a similar page, they're not going to be where, where he's at, but if they can continue to be on enough of a similar page that they have been the last few weeks, I think this, this game could could get away from, from uh, the 49ers. I just think Pat Mahomes is is that much better than everybody else on the field, I'll be honest. I feel the same way. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned my picks at all the, uh, this uh, postseason, wink, wink. But <laughs> I, I have been, I have really felt like, hey, when Mahomes is on Kansas City, I've just been picking them. They, they're the underdog. I take those points every time. I mean, yeah. if you're wrong on it, okay, it was still a, a, the right decision, right? Sure, right. certainly the game could get away. They could have, you know, an injury or he could sprain his thumb on the opening drive or whatever. But I just I don't understand it. I don't understand the line either. I'll take it. And we'll hear from 49er fans if it goes the other way. Be right sure. there for you. But uh, And I'll be happy for them. I mean, I think Kyle Shanahan's career, I think he's going to get one at some point. But yeah. I'm just not sure he's picked the right opponents in his Super Bowls, right? <laughs> <laughs> he went against yeah. Brady when he's with right. Atlanta, and he's now he went against Mahomes. And remember, Mahomes won last year injured against yep. a, an Eagles team that was a stacked roster too. Yep. So now he's healthy. He's completely on point. Looks very tough to beat. He's got a little bit of a run game. Their defense is good. I'm with you on that, but can't wait to see the game. You got anything else? No, that's it. I'm ready for the game, too. There's been so much analysis of this, like there is every year. At some point, usually by Thursday or Friday, I've seen enough, and it's time to go play. Yeah. Me, too. Hopefully, there's no fire alarms in any of one's <laughs> hotel. Well, you're usually mine. out all night. No, we proved you're out all I'll night, so out. you're not going to hear, the, hear my, the fire alarm. I'll be out all night in my shirt here, my Vegas shirt. So. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for coming along. We'll do this again next week on the Football GM Podcast. This was the Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.